Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Hey, so real quick before we get into the episode this week, just want to make a small note about our friends uh, at uh, Sharing the Land with Doug Dern up at the Dern Farm here in Wisconsin. They got a doe derby going on. Greg's going to talk about it real quick because he actually knows what's going on. And Yeah, I mean, real quick, it's running November 19th, so it's already been ongoing with, uh, with the firearm season uh, through January 1st. So that'll be the last day of the holiday hunt that we have going on. Um, but the big drawings for it are going to be um, this Saturday. So there's going to be a drawing and bonfire at the Duran Farm uh, on December 10th. It'll, festivities will take place 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. Um, and then there'll be a, a virtual grand prize drawing January 7th. So anybody that gets anything in after this drawing on the 10th uh, will qualify for the grand prize drawing they got some pretty big prizes. I mean, yeah. they have a whole gambit, and they got some some big things dropping up there. So, yeah, I mean, if you're really, in the area, if you're in Wisconsin, and you you get a doe, you're in the Driftless area near Casnobia. Um, the the drawing again is going to be at six o'clock, so five to five to eight, a little fire and a little bit of spirits maybe going around uh, and enjoying the the company of others, other hunters. Um, but some of the prizes that did you get to meet Greg Tubbs? Is that like one of the I don't know if that's a, a blessing or curse, <laughs> but um, there, there's going to be at least, you know, a handful of good prizes uh, to include um, a set of uh, snowshoes from Red Feather Outdoors. Uh, they're, they're out of lacrosse. Um, a Vortex Viper 3000 Rangefinder. A Savage 110 Storm and 6.5 Creedmoor with a Vortex Viper. Uh, two and a half to ten by forty-four sounds deadly. And that rifle's also going to come with a nice, crisscrafted leather sharing the land sling. Those are some of the big prizes that are being given away. There's some others that have yet to be unveiled. So yeah, right. thanks. Uh, enjoy this week's episode. If you're in the area, stop on by. Even if you don't get a doe, it's going to be a good celebration. Sure, but if you can get a doe, yep, help them over. out. Yep, bring it over. We'll take the head. Put it in the kiosk. It'll get tested, and that's your tested for CWD, of for course. CWD. They want the data. Yep, and that'll be your entry into getting getting tickets to put yep. into this. And sharing the land is is a way to access private land in a gentrified area in the driftless driftless region where most of that land is not public. It's privately owned, and these private landowners are letting people access their land for these doe hunts. So pretty cool thing. I uh, hope you guys can check it out and. Uh, Let's get into it. This is the OKest Hunter Podcast. Never pass on shooter bucks. That's just me in the freezer. It's your tag. You hunt how you want. This is OKest Hunter. What is up? Welcome to the OKS Hunter Podcast. Are you ready? No. Are you ready? <laughs> Am I ever ready for anything? No. Oh, You're living up gosh. to the expectations. Most unprepared hunter is should be our next name. Uh, Fitting. I tell you what, man. Well, welcome to the show, the shit show. Sorry if we're, we swear it is marked explicit. So if you got kids, say earmuffs. I don't say that around my kids. They just know not to say the bad words. They know what they are. Well-trained children. Yeah, we've trained them well. Um, Want to do our, our sponsor readouts real quick. I got a couple of announcements to get a couple of announcements to get through from our friends at Spartan Forge. Those guys are machines. Like they might actually be machines. Very possible. They are cranking out updates like super super fast. Um, they just launched or released. I don't know if launch release. I think technically it's called a release. 
when you're updating an app, but uh, slope gradient, which is a color representation of the steepness of particular areas. Um, they're the only ones that can do that in 3D with terrain emphasis. And it's pretty cool. Yeah, you were you were showing me it on yours. Um, and because we have like the driftless area here in Wisconsin, that looks really cool when you light that up. It was pretty neat. So you can find shelves and benches and things like that that maybe you're not going to see otherwise that deer are traversing. And you had a really interesting idea about it. Yeah, I did. We'll so, talk about it. Well, we're not going to talk about it until we try it first and see how it works. All right, all right. Greg's idea was just if you're going to track a deer, you could you could have your uh, the tracker on the app as you're tracking, and you can get some really cool visual representations. But lots of updates coming soon from those guys. But the, the other thing is you're going to have to head over to their Instagram page, Spartan Forge, and they have a, um, a donation that they're doing right now through a GoFundMe for a vet campaign for their veteran hunt. Uh, it's going to Hungry Heroes Barbecue this year is the campaign of choice, and they're almost at $5,000 raised. So just if you can push that needle a little bit further and get them across that, that benchmark, that'd be fantastic. Um, the owner, Bill, is a, is a vet. You know, he's an Army, office, Army intelligence officer, retired, and uh, vet-owned company. They, they care a lot about their vets. They certainly do. So they put on the vet hunt last November. They're doing it again, uh, I think, in early 23. Um, different location. So I don't have details for that yet, but that's that what they got happen. going on there. Um, Vector Custom Shop. Just spent some time talking to Isaac. They're down in Texas. Just, I think the first night they killed 19 hogs. Yeah, whacking and stacking hogs. Arrows just going through pigskin. <laughs> Like, pretty awesome. And pigskin is pretty tough, and they had no broken arrows out of 19 hogs. That's pretty pretty awesome because that's a, that's a tough animal. Yeah. And the broadheads are really great. We got a couple of them here. It's not These aren't the ones that I use, but uh, the ones that I used are the variable fixed blade, the VBS, as Greg likes to say. Put a hell of a herd on a nice the buck that's on the table here. Yeah. So I'm pretty thrilled with how that worked out. Latitude Outdoors, we talk about those guys all the time. Getting comfy in a saddle. You know, <laughs> you can take a crap from it if you want to, but uh, it is one of the better saddles Seriously? on the market. I'm just going to, you know what's going to stick in someone's mind? A turd. And, <laughs> but I say that to say, oh man, not that I want them to be associated with that, but they're going to think about Thank it every time. Brother. Every time someone's on the toilet, they're going to think of latitude and be like, man, I wish it was on the tree right now. The crap strap. There you go. No, it's a, it's just a drink your bourbon. <laughs> it's a good product, man. Like I wouldn't be hunting out of the saddle if I didn't have their two piece system because I wouldn't have the variation of adjustability to be as comfortable as I am. And that adjustability helps you with your shot placement too. And I, when I was rifle hunting, by the way, the deer, if they would have just come a different way that, did you do this with yours? Did you rest your rifle on the, on the yes. bridge? How awesome is that? Well, I was able to rest my elbow on the bridge and actually steady against the trunk of the tree. Okay. So you have like a V there almost. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty. See, the like that's of contact, more stability, more accuracy. Yep. Do that with your tree stand. Yeah. Not to knock tree stands. I think tree stands are fine, but yeah, the saddles. I, I still run out of one every once in a while. Yeah. And uh, go wild. Boy, oh boy. We were talking a lot about them offline. I'm sure they'll come up in conversation, but there is not a place on this freaking planet where you can post on a social platform and not get some sort of, you got to post in black and white. You can't post this. You got to be careful with that. Like heaven forbid this. I had a guy uh, today jail with you. tell me I haven't eaten meat in nine years. And the only thing that happened to me is I stopped wearing my glasses. How dare you kill an animal? I'm like, dude, <laughs> I'm not going to have that problem on go wild. I'm just not because the community is there, mm -hmm. you know, not these other, I don't know what this guy was. I don't even call him a vegetarian, but he was pretty sour pussed about us lo loving our way of life, like challenging it. The world of social media. Gotta love it. Yeah, we got a guest with us today. Yes, we do. Let's bring him on. Giannis Patelis with Meat Eater. Thank you for joining us. I can't believe you follow our page and are on our podcast. Someone pinch me. <laughs> well, I can't say I've ever, I've ever listened to uh, 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 one of your podcasts, but I do follow you guys on the. Uh, you know, I heard. I think I heard you guys. You guys did one with uh, Mark Canyon, right? You guys did his podcast. We did. He had us on his, yeah, and that yeah. was a fun one. He he did yeah, some really creative things. I found out about you. Well, thanks, Mark, oh. for that. I tried to tell him to call into the show, but he said he's too busy tonight because we got our, our live call-in feature. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't I don't know. I think most people know that, but you can call into our show, and when that happens, you're going to get parked into our, our – we have like a – I don't know what it's called, like a call assistant or something like that or a call queue. So you're not going to just barrel right into here. You got to get – 
screened first. And once you pass the screening, we may let you in. Um, I think Doug Duran wants to call in, although we're behind schedule because of technical drama per usual here on our podcast. But thanks for, for being with who us. Does, who does the screening? Well, I want it to be my wife because that would be fun, but she's too busy with our three kids, so it's a robot. <laughs> uh, and, but it, it usually messes up the name because it'll, it'll hear when someone calls, they'll say their name and where they're from because we prompt them to tell us that. And then it'll totally goof it up. So usually when I introduce someone, I get the name completely wrong because I'm reading off of whatever it interpreted. Yeah, it, it would really jack up your name, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and you say, so can you tell me, Giannis, how you got the nickname, the, the Latvian Eagle? And I think the first part's pretty obvious, geographically speaking. Yep, totally. That's that's where all of my uh, family came from. Um, all right, I was trying to post to my stories too to tell people to come watch this or listen, but I can't. I don't think I can multitask that hard. Uh, so, yeah, we were on a Colorado mule deer hunt. I was producing the episode. It was with Steve and Brody Henderson, and um, we had split up like mid morning just to kind of glass off different points. So a lot of times when you're, when we're making meat eater, you know, the crew's all together during prime time, but then as it slows down, you know, especially someone like me is going to be like, okay, there's nothing else to do. I'm going to go glass, see if I can't find some deer in this direction. And so we had kind of split up and I came back and uh, Steve maybe asked if I'd seen anything. And just off the top of my head, kind of joking around i was like no the latvian eagle hadn't seen nothing and uh they just stuck and uh he he liked that one and that's um prior to that i i that's actually how i got my job in the first place is because in, when i was with him in alaska on my first hunt i was just there as kind of a pack mule kind of do everything guy but also brought my binoculars and when we were, when I didn't have anything to do, I'd sit around in glass and I was finding animals and <laughs> he useful. was like, man, it's really good to have a guy around that can not only do like this job, but also finds critters on the side. Like we should have him like with us more often. So, you know, I had a little bit of a reputation for finding critters. And so once I, you know, just, I, I was just making kind of fun of myself for not finding anything and uh, it stuck. So. Yeah, that's the story. We're big fans of self-deprecating humor over here, so I I could relate to that. Like, just get on the get on the uh, the offense, right? And, and rather than be on the defense, just get ahead of it. Like, oh no, yeah, I didn't see anything. I'm a, yeah, no, no dice. And you you joined up with Meat Eater in 2012, is that right? Uh yes, that was the first fall that um, that I uh, I did. Uh, I think I did. Just well, I did two episodes in Alaska because I was living up there, and then uh, I couldn't do any more because I had prior obligations and, and just plans I'd made to be guiding in Colorado. And um, so uh, I think I picked back up like in the spring, probably with like a turkey hunt or something. So I, I was probably full time by the fall of thirteen. That's that's a wild ride. So and, ten years. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. No doubt. Yeah, yeah. Ten years. That's that's a lot. And so, like, how has your position at the company changed from then to now? Like, what are you, what are you doing nowadays over there? I know you just got done wrapping up a podcast over there. So yeah, I still co-host and act like a as a you know uh, often as a guest on the regular Meat Eater podcast, which we did two of today. Um, everybody'd be very surprised to find out that we just recorded the. Christmas and New Year's episodes uh, today. <laughs> uh, no, I'm joking. Uh, that's just how it goes in production. You got you got to get ahead a little bit. Uh, so we did two of those today. So um, if I'm if I trip up on some of my words, it's because I've said a lot of them today. That's a lot of talking. But um, yes, yeah, so I'm I'm still doing that, and then I'm, I also am co-hosting a podcast with Jordan Bud called Gear Talk. Um, where you guessed it, we talk about gear, uh, mostly hunting gear, but you know we'll cover off on some fishing gear and some trucks and camping gear and whatnot too. Uh, so that's going well. Um, I help on some writing projects, book projects. We we're just we're wrapping up another cookbook coming out from Meat Eater, um, and then I also 
uh, host a uh, show that we do that comes out on YouTube called On the Hunt with Giannis Patelis, where I'll have anywhere from six to eight episodes of that uh, a year, roughly. Um, and uh, it's a pretty basic hunting show. Um, I get to go and do whatever hunts I want to do these days. Uh, I don't have to go do the hunts that Steve wants to do. I get to uh, do the hunts that Yanni wants to do, which is not too too different, but it's uh, it's fun when you can uh, when you get to steer the ship. That's pretty cool. And you you were you just in Wisconsin for the gun gun deer season? Because it when I saw that show, like I think you've done some episodes here, like we're obviously in Wisconsin. Hmm. Um. I was actually there twice this year. I think I've, I think I've been there twice the last three years. That's not counting turkey hunts, but my plan is, and for the foreseeable future, as long as I can manage it, make it happen and, you know, not, you know, piss off anybody too much for being gone too much, which you can guess who that is. <laughs> but, um, my plan is to do like a rut, you know, cation there as uh, Canyon likes to say, and, and do a week with my bow. Um, you know, I, I might be adjusting dates, but the last couple of years, it's been roughly the first through the eighth. Um, and then I like to come back and hunt and do the, uh, rifle opener. And that's usually just a couple days of hunting. Some years I've stayed longer. Um, but that hunt is really just about, um, coming back to the Latvian deer camp that I grew up in and, you know, hanging out with those guys that were, you know, huge influences on me, you know, coming up as a, as a young hunter. I mean, I've been going to that camp now since I was, I don't know, I was probably, 10 or 11 the first time I went. So it's, um, you know, 30 plus years and, uh, it's good. I actually took my daughter for the first time this year and, uh, she's 11. Um, so about the same age, you know, when I went for my first time, and I was pretty nervous about that. Uh, just didn't know how she was going to fit in, how she was going to blend in, how well she was going to be accepted, you know, but, uh, it, it went very smoothly. She, she fit right in. She, uh, kind of stole the show, just jumped right in. And, uh, at, at 11, she can probably out hike just about everybody there besides me and my brother. Um, so I think she got immediately immediate credit for, uh, basically walking the whole property, you know, 10 times in a row, uh, and, uh, and then still staying up until 11 and playing cards and, and, uh, you know, enjoying the, the camaraderie of uh, deer camp. That's so, gotta be a uh, really, yeah. really proud dad moment, huh? Go ahead, Greg. Yeah, totally. You know, I'm, I'm happy that she enjoyed it. You know, she wasn't hunting. She was just there to, uh, to you know, watch. And uh, we didn't kill anything, but we had a, the second evening, we had a great encounter with three small bucks and a doe. In retrospect, I wish I would have shot one of them because she likes the process of, you know, gutting and taking care of the critter. And, um, I was, I was kind of sitting back a little bit too much in my, uh, you know, waiting for the big buck chair. And, uh, in retrospect, I probably should have just pulled the trigger on, you know, any one of those critters and just like let her experience all that. She's experienced plenty of, you know, of that, but you know, just that we had gotten on a plane, it was kind of a big deal. It would have been a nice bow on top. Um, uh, it wasn't necessary, but anyways, all that to say she got to see some deer and, and, we got to watch three bucks, like two of them really duked it out, like shoving each other 10 yards either direction, you know, small trees falling over one of one of the other bucks, the other buck was chasing the doe around them. Um, it was pretty exciting 20 minutes or so. Uh, so we had some, we had some action and, uh, yeah, at the end of it all, she's asking questions about taking Hunter's ed and she's telling me her sort of philosophies on, whether she's going to kill bucks or does or maybe mm -hmm. one buck and then only does because she's not really into the antlers and she's wondering what she should kill first. And I'm like, you know, maybe just the first one that walks by, you know, and sh today she told me she thought that was a good idea. So yeah, fingers crossed that we'll, she'll be hunting as an apprentice next year. What are, what's your favorite tradition about Wisconsin, the Latvian deer camp? Is there a meal you guys like to make or is there just a game you play? Um, we do play a Latvian card game called Zuolet, which is uh, sheep's head in American, in English. 
don't know. It's a, it's a Trump, like a trick taking game, you know, with Trump's, um, took me a long time to learn it. It's, it's not a, uh, not a simple game, but, uh, man, you know, I, I don't know if there's any particular, I, I think it's just, it is the tradition of deer camp is all that it is. You know, it's pretty simple. Uh, <clears throat> we certainly eat, you know, good homemade food, but it's not too fancy. Um, you know, there's some beverages consumed and, you know, everybody has a good time. I think half the crew is probably there just as much to kick back and relax and, um, you know, have a vacation as they are to hunt. Um, and yeah. Um, that's how deer camp is it's for, a, for a lot of us. I, I mean, that's how it is for me. It's like, yeah. well, I can go cut loose for a weekend, hang out with the buddies that I haven't seen all year. And my dad, and, and I always find it interesting. You get to the woods and uh, for us, we go to the, the same general location, you know, the same forest, at least, state park. And the, I've always described as the woods come alive. We walk into the woods on Friday, and all these stories from years past start to emerge and lift. Like you're seeing ghosts in the woods, but it's not like ghosts in like a haunting way. It's like, it's like if someone had a projector and they turned it on. You sure it's you'd not be... from something you drank the night before? <laughs> There's no ghost pepper, you know, or anything like that. That would be a real problem in the woods to, de to deal with that the next day. But it's... Uh, it's really special that deer camp feel. And then you bring it back to the cabin or the, you know, the shack or the trailer or the tent or the, you know, camper, whatever it is you have, because everyone's got something different and it doesn't matter. It's like this magical place. It's not, it's, it's a destination and a journey almost all in one. It's like a really cool thing. So I think Greg's just hungry. You want to hear what kind of mm -hmm. meals you're, you're prepping over there. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, and so many, you know, we take those of us that grew up in it take can you can take it for granted. And I, I did a quick poll around the room today, and I think out of eight of us, you know, there was only three of us that had participated in, you know, I think what most people would call like an actual deer camp, you know. And it's it's not something that everybody has. It, it takes a lot of effort by somebody to pull that together to have the location to do the hunting, to have the location to host everybody, and you know, to organize it and, you know, and do all that stuff. And, um, it's, uh, it, it shouldn't be taken for granted. It's a, it's a really special thing. And, um, I think for, you know, any kind of young people coming up in there, it, uh, it, it's just a great way to see, you know, a, a different aspect of life, you know, and see adults, you know, acting in different ways and, and you know, whatever, just as, as it might be important for some folks to go to church, um, I think it's important for kids to go and experience something like that. Yeah, I'm excited. My daughter's five and my two sons are uh, three and one. So I'm pretty enthusiastic. I mean, the biggest reason I got a deer this year uh, was for my daughter, hands down. She was just hounding me. When am I going to eat? When am I going to eat? When am I going to eat? I actually used the Mediator cookbook last night and cooked up some loins. And I did a recipe out of the, I earmarked it. And figured I'd give it a shot. It turned out pretty damn good. I was pretty proud of myself. Although I didn't get the sear as good as I wanted it, but I definitely uh, enjoyed it. I did it good enough that it was it was a nice, juicy, watery, mouth-watering steak. Um, but you know, speaking of like perspective and viewpoint, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk talk about while we have you, because I don't know if we'll get you again, or we don't want to scare you away or anything. But you know, Meat Eater has this unique position in the hunting community that. You're looked up to, you're looked at, you're viewed. Um, I said, you know, before we hit the record button, you know, we could put an article out and it might get, you know, 25, 50 views on a good day. And you guys put one out. I know you do a lot of commerce content and things of that nature. There's a media play there, but you get a lot of eyes and ears on your brand through the channels that you have, the hunting show that you talked about. You know, for us, we're, we're really interested in trying to end deer shaming. It's a thing. It exists. It's ridiculous. It's frustrating. We're trying to just center hunters around not, letting the neck bite the head off because I think as hunters, we can do more harm to ourselves insularly. Uh, you know, we gotta, we gotta kind of come together insularly, like together inside to, to fight the war outside. And Mediator is one of those brands that I just highly respect and regard and revere in the sense that you guys have done such a good job in speaking to people that don't speak our language. Like the guy mentioned in the beginning of the show, when we talk about go wild, the guy that said, how can you kill animals? I don't get it. He's trying to understand it and he does understand it. And, uh, you know, so I'm just curious from the plateau that you guys are at, you know, do you see some of that stuff? Do you, how do you deal with that? How do you, you know, defend our culture and heritage without getting viscerally offended? Because it, you know, it irks us. We're like, what do you mean to understand my way of life? How do you 
cool the nerves and let level heads prevail so you still can soft enough to let people in because we want to grow this community. It's a, a lot of questions there. It's how I do it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm super familiar with um, this thing you call deer shaming. Is that You have to explain it to me. Is that basically like if I posted a picture of whatever said animal and then people would tell me that for whatever reason they could think of that I shouldn't have killed that animal. Oh yeah. You shouldn't, I can't believe you used a crossbow. You're not a real hunter. I can't believe you shot, oh. you know, a Turkey with this. You're not a real Turkey hunter. I can't believe you shot that spike a box. spike instead of a doe. Why didn't you shoot the doe? It's like, well, you know, I only got like two days to hunt. I got three kids, a, fam a family, a career, a day. Like I got all the shit going on. Like I tell you what, I'm going to shoot yeah. walks past so I can bring some meat home for my daughter. Um, so there's people yeah. that just, they find all these reasons, these keyboard cowboys, as Greg calls them, to just shit on other hunters. And that, when you get an outsider looking in, it's like, well, I don't want to mess with that world. I'm not coming into that drama. You know, there's just so much of that stuff. Where private is better than public. Public's better than private. You're not hardcore if you're doing this. This goes on and on. So deer shaming isn't just, you shot a little buck. It's, it's all of it. And it's this tearing down of other hunters that just, how do we chip away at this and at least from what i've been exposed to um kindness kills like we try to kill with kindness we try to always rise above and we want to make positivity louder so if we see that stuff we just want to bury it in the comments with more positive like you know i've seen kids get deer shamed yeah. and stuff like that so it's like let's just bury that comment and make sure that they know that that was a good thing you know I've certainly seen that. That's a, a great way to deal with it. And, and it seems like any, whether it's in the comments or in DMS, if you get any kind of negative stuff or somebody talking back, if, if you answer it with an authentic, real answer and are just like, Hey man, okay. That's one way to look at it. This is why I did that. Or this is how I look at it. Then I think immediately, well, number one, people are happy that you, um, re uh that you responded to them that you communicated and so that cools their jets and then yeah you're you're just educating them on you know your way to do it because we all know there's you know a gazillion ways to skin the cat and it's especially true in hunting that there's it's just so nuanced you know um that uh you know steve always has that great story of the guy you know sitting in his like super bitch and tower blind like 50 feet in the air it's got you know air conditioning and heat he can cook food inside of it he's got mowed strips that go out wagon wheel in all directions that have actual yardages marked out in them and steve's sitting in there with that dude hunting deer and the guy's like man can't believe those guys that go out and hunt lions with dogs you know what kind of hunting is that and, and, you know, the, the irony there is, you know, you could drown Palpable. in it. It's, yeah. it'd be so thick, but, um, yeah, we're our own worst enemy. I think it doesn't matter if it's hunt hunters or any kind of group of people, man. It just, you got to keep an open mind and, uh, you know, be open to change and having your viewpoint changed and, uh, and, you know, always be seeking more knowledge, you know, and, and, and try to be more well-rounded and smarter, you know, by it. Um, you know, being negative just doesn't get us anywhere, you know? Uh, so, you know, I don't know. I, I really don't see it that much. And so maybe that's why I haven't looked at it as a, you know, a subject or a thing that I feel like I have to, you know, address or really battle. Um, you know, our attitude, I think for the most part over here is like, if it's legal and you're having fun, then, cool you know great by us um yeah that's that's our that's been yeah. our response it's like we we've adopted this and, and it, it, it wasn't us that came up with someone else said it and we just kind of adopted it it was you know it's my tag it's my hunt if i if i buy a tag who are you to tell me how i should use it you know do you you don't buy my yeah. tags if i'm going to shoot this deer that the dnr said i could shoot then i did it legally and ethically like then why do you feel that you need to have a say in that like the fact that you're mm -hmm. expending energy looking into my stuff and telling me how I should have tagged an animal. It's just like, but it happens so frequently. So yeah, I just thought like, gosh, as one of the, the, the major players in the space. I just wondered if you guys deal with that 
you know, uh, socially or, or ethically, or if you get comments about that kind of stuff, you know, even, even some of the bigger to us and smaller than you, like the hunting public, they get, they get flack because, oh, you ruined my hunting spot because you filmed here. But it's like, well, it's public land. It's mm. not, it's not your hunting spot. It's everybody's hunting spot. But there's been this other argument that, yeah. you know, filming is ruining hunting. Like there's all this negative talk. And I think it comes from a place of, of ego and, and, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of selfishness, like, well, that's my spot. Like, how dare you ruin it? And that's that, that was my deer that you shot. You shouldn't have shot my deer. And if you shoot a little one, then I didn't have a chance to shoot it when it got big kind of stuff. And yeah, I just find it fascinating. I just, uh, really honed in on trying to, to respond in a, in a way that can really help. I don't want to just go tit for tat with people. Well, I just, I, you know, I, like I said, I don't seem to see it that much. Uh, I can't say if, if I've ever been personally shamed. I mean, I guess I did make a post about how a, like a two year old, I think two year old buck walked by my tree the day after I was in it, after I left Wisconsin, after my archery hunt. And, you know, someone posted like, oh, you didn't want that two and a half year old buck anyways. And I was like, well, no, I did. That's <laughs> you why know? I shot it. <laughs> but like, yeah, so I, I, I don't know. Um, I'm hoping that it's a, just a real minority. I'm hoping it's, it's not as much as you're saying it is. Um, well, I think, because like, I again, think, I just, I just. Yeah, I think negativity, negativity is louder than positivity in some cases. So even though if it's 1%, it just comes off really loud. So. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting stuff. I have a, a comment that I put on the screen here. We'll switch, we'll switch topics. But someone said, ask about the grizzly ambush. And then uh, someone said mm -hmm. that you saved your mates uh, with a ski pole. Is there a story there? There's That's a story true. There. there is. Um, I can try to do a very quick rendition of it if you like. Um, we, we were on a Fognac Island, which is Alaska, hunting Roosevelt elk. Um, it was uh, Steve Ranella and Remy Warren were the hunters. I was there uh, producing, directing. I think we had an, uh, me plus three in the crew. And um, Steve had killed a bull. We uh, put half of it in a tree, packed the other half out, um, back to camp. And some people might say, why don't you just pack it all out? I've never seen a more densely built animal than a Roosevelt elk on a Fognac Island. I mean, it looked like a regular elk, but the meat just kept coming off of it and coming off of it and coming off of it. We packed as much out as we could. It got, it got processed in Kodiak. The processed meat with zero bones in it. Processed meat packaged was 350 pounds. Oh my no God. ground. The, is the That's food a that, lot. Is the, like most elk I, is the food source? Yeah, most elk I kill, I'm looking at like 200 pounds. Yeah, it's. It, I think it's just, I think Roosevelt's have a little bit more body, smaller antlers. It's kind of how they're, you know, when people compare those to Rockies, they're like, oh yeah, Rockies bigger antlers, Roosevelt's bigger bodies. But anyways, um, so we come back uh, two days later because we, we got back to camp at like four in the morning. We were bushwhacked. Um, it's a cold, wet, rainy place. We were, it, was, it was just sucking the energy out of us. Um, so we go back in there. We get there midday uh, to this place where we hung up the um, – and you can hear this whole story from six different perspectives on the Meteor podcast. I believe it's the episodes are called The Meat Tree, part one and part two. Um, but we get back in there, we glass the meat tree from like 300 yards away for 20 minutes. Don't see a bear around it. Don't. Um, and we're in, and I guess I should preface this. We're prepared to encounter a grizzly bear. You get a letter from Alaska Fish and Game that says, hey, if you kill an elk on this hunt, like the carcass will be um, taken by a grizzly bear. Like it's going to happen. You need to plan accordingly. So we're going in there, we think prepared. We glass it, nothing. We decide to go to the meat tree. And we come in yelling, hooting, hollering, bear sprays pulled, pistols pulled. Get to the tree, no sign of bear, nothing. And where we make our mistake of the day is that at that point, 
we're like, let's sit down and have a sandwich and make some tea. It was, it, it was wet and cold and rainy. So it's the type of place where you're always wanting to drink a hot drink. And uh, we're like, yeah, that's a great idea. In retrospect, we should have gotten the meat, put on our back bags, back backs, and walked out to a very more open area where we could see, you know, all around us. Instead, we sit down underneath half of an of an fresh, you know, elk meat hanging in a tree above us. And like the farthest you can see is like maybe 25, 30 yards. And some of it, the alders are as close as like five or seven yards. And uh we get the water going. I remember hearing the sound of like the, the whisper light hissing and the water kind of starting to bubble and the sandwiches has just gotten tossed out. I was complaining to Steve about how it looked like his sandwich had more meat and cheese than mine did. And his response was, well, if you want a bigger sandwich, you need to get your own hunting show. It, it literally at that moment, he answers that. And the dude next to me goes, I think I just heard something. And then he says, oh, shit, bear. And I look up and there's full-size grizzly bear running at us. And he's, I don't know, 20 yards and closing fast. I have just enough time to hop up from my seated position, throw my sandwich down. And for some odd reason, don't know why, because I had a pistol with me. I had bear spray with me. But I end up standing and I'm holding two trekking poles like I'm at bat. Uh, playing baseball and when the bear's head is you know roughly a trekking pole's distance away from me i take a swing uh thinking well i'm about to get run over here but at least i should go down swinging and, and you know it's, it's, it's better than just standing here and uh, the last thing i thought would happen happened and i made contact and instead of bowling me over the bull the bear flips almost 180 degrees and takes off back down the hill. Um, and I was pretty wide eyed, you know, in that moment, uh, it's a lot of what's even crazier though. Is that, oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, actually, I mean, by that point it was probably in my body. I don't I mean, I don't know how fast it takes for your body to produce it, to put it in there, but it, from the time that the guy said bear to the time that I hit the bear couldn't have been two seconds. Um, the bear leaves, one of our guys, Garrett Smith, somehow gets entangled in the roots of this tree. And as the bear's leaving, falls over his own heels, trips like backwards, lands on the bear's back. And nobody saw me hit the bear with the ski poles. Okay, I'll put that out there. As far as anybody else ever is going to know, it could be a completely made up story. But we have multiple witnesses that see the what it looks like the bear taking one of our guys away. We didn't, I didn't at the moment I didn't even know who it was, but all I could see was like a bear and a human moving together. And in my in my head I'm thinking, man, he's got somebody and they're and he's leaving. <laughs> Remy and I take off after the bear. At this time, at this point, we have our pistols, and we didn't make it a couple strides. And Garrett comes running back over the crest of the hill, you know, just a few yards away, and. Uh, just with the, the biggest saucer eyes you've ever seen, you know? And, uh, yeah, I think he, he literally rode the back of a grizzly bear for, you know, a second or maybe two before he fell off. And, uh, yeah, you know, it was a pretty, then it got really intense. That's when like the emotions flowed and like, it was, it was a little bit hectic. We kind of, we get calmed down the people that weren't as calm uh, the bear circled us. We could hear it. We never saw it again, but we could hear him popping its jaws and clacking its teeth in the alders around us. It never charged again. We never saw it again. We got the meat down out of the tree. We quickly loaded our packs and then marched our way to the big open meadow where we should have been in the first place. And then we reassessed. Um, but yeah, it was quite the uh, quite quite the few seconds of my life. And uh, I remember. But when my wife uh, adds to the story, if she was here, she would say, yeah, when I talked to you three days later, the instant that you said hello, I could tell in your voice that something had changed, that something was different. And, uh, you know, I proceeded to tell her the story. Wow, and, uh, that's perceptive. You know, my big takeaway from, yeah, my big takeaway from that one was like, it was the first time in my life. I mean, I had young kids at the time, but 
I really felt responsible for those that I had hired on and to be, uh, you know, on that, like Steve and Remy were kind of of their, their own accord, you know, they had chosen to be there, but I'd hired a crew of four to come and film and be there and, you know, puts, <clears throat> put other people in that situation. Like I really felt the weight of that and, um, you know, really couldn't apologize enough, uh, to them, you know, for doing that. Um, I mean, obviously I can't control that, but that's how I felt, you know, and it, it was heavy. That's the, that's the, I mean, that's a real human response. You selfless in thinking that way. I think that's puts you in a class above some others to, to put other people first. That's a pretty crazy story that, that there's not a lot of stories like that, but as much time as you spend in the wild, you have more at bats that crazy shit happening than most other people. Yeah, your biggest at bat was against a grizzly. You were <laughs> literally hoping, biggest you were, at bat. You were was literally a hoping for a, a foul at best. Instead, you hit a home run, and uh, one of your video guys couldn't ride the bear for eight seconds. He made it two or three, which is probably a good thing. And uh, everybody came out alive. It's good. Oh my gosh! Hey, we got a couple callers here, and uh, I'm going to bring one in who I think you know, who's going to call you by Yanni and not Giannis. We got our friend Doug out of Madison. Doug, you're live on the show. I hope you're not drunk. I am not drunk. Hey, Giannis. <laughs> Can you, I can't hear him. Oh, you can't hear him. What's Delayed? going on? Giannis can't hear you. I don't know why that is. Uh, seems like a technical problem on my end. Oh, no. That that doesn't happen often. Um <laughs> Well, shit, Doug. If if Giannis can't hear you, then there's no point in me taking calls. Let me. I guess not. Don't believe anything he says about me. Well, uh, I'll just... I don't know what else to say. <laughs> That's <laughs> unfortunate. So you can't hear him at all. Hey, Giannis, nothing. No, and it, I'm reading your comments, and it says nobody can hear him. Nobody can hear. Him. Oh darn! What is the deal? No one can hear the call except for us. This has happened before, and I don't know. How to resolve that? So I'm going to take the ticker off. And they can't hear it online either, huh? They'll hear it online on the podcast, but if Giannis can't hear, it, then it doesn't matter. So there's some sort of connection issue with yep. our audio feeding it from the computer to the mixer back into this thing. But well, thanks, Doug, for trying. I didn't have any questions for you, Giannis, anyway. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Doug said he didn't have any questions for you anyway. So it is what it is. <laughs> He's heard all my answers. All right, see ya. All right. Thanks, Doug. Well, that's uh, unfortunate. He said he said he doesn't have any questions for you, anyways, and and Yana saved any answers. So, well, that's a weird technical thing that I think I might know how to fix, but we're not going to do it. We're not going to do that now. I'm not going to make you uh, deal with more technical drama, Giannis. I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. But I wish Doug did have a question. He could have left us with something if he's going to call in. He's doing he's doing his dough derby. Uh, have you have you been to that? Have you heard of this? I have heard of it. I've not participated. Yeah, Great Cal program. Cal was there last year. Did some film, filming with the crew. Um, mm -hmm. We participated in it a little bit last year. I'm actually going to go help mentor somebody <laughs> for it on Sunday, and kind of help Doug with some of the things around the around the farm there, to in preparation of. It's not far from us. It's like. We're we're in Oconomowoc. It's the basically outside of the Dells a little bit. It's it's pretty it's a pretty quick shot over there. It's nice to be able to be involved with some of that stuff. the the barn The farmhouse is a really cool nostalgic place. I think a lot of it has to do with what you guys have done. You know, filming over there it makes it feel like we were in like a really special special place. And I think it's special anyways, but it just makes it feel even you know more different. I guess or, or more special. Well, and Doug's doing a lot of good things for conservation and trying to help people get into hunting and, and understand what conservation is all about. That's really the important thing of it. Yeah. Well, when you're there, I mean, you know, it's like some of the stuff we talked about earlier, the, uh, the hunting camp and the, you know, all the pictures on the walls and the stories that are there, the stories that have been told by everybody sitting in those chairs and, the rotating chairs and couches that are in that farmhouse, uh, you know, an amazing amount of memories. And there's probably a few people that could go spend a couple of days hunting there with Doug that wouldn't come away from that one, wanting to continue their, 
continue a deer a path to deer hunting uh you know and uh then on top of that yeah he, he's used all that as a springboard to you know do his conservation deal which is you know mostly educating folks about cwd and now he's got the sharing the land program that he's doing um he uh you know i i for for me he, he's he's a uh he's certainly a conservation icon but he's like he's someone that i look up to sort of like that has 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 a really good plan for you know his stage of life and is seems to be executing it and i and uh, I, I hope to one day model you know mine after that you know where he's taken those you know, very productive years of his life where he's, where he's not working as much as he, uh, you know, maybe used to and, but taking it and make, making a difference, you know, putting some, still keeping at it, putting some effort into, into doing good. I'm going to, since we couldn't, since we can't take callers, I'll post a couple comments through his questions just to kind of, uh, round this thing out a little bit and, uh, and then we can bring the plane in for landing. But one of the questions someone asked said, uh, do you get bored hunting from a stand in Wisconsin versus putting miles on glassing and stalking out West? Do you have a preference? It sounds like we kind of answered a little bit with deer camp stuff, but. No, 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 I don't, I don't get bored. I maybe did uh, when I was younger in my teens and, and maybe even early twenties, uh, just sitting and, and waiting, you know, for a white tail deer to walk by. And that certainly fueled my love for elk hunting where they were like, yeah, all you got to do is keep the wind in your face and, and, you know, run those ridges and you'll get into elk. Um, you know, I, I certainly fell in love with that style of hunting after having to sit for so many years, but now, um, I really enjoy, you know, the meditative aspect of just hanging out in a tree, uh, chilling, just letting it all happen around you. Um, you know, Putting, hopefully putting all the pieces together and making the right decisions to put yourself in a location where you're going to have activity. Um, but no, don't get bored. And then what is uh, BG Wisconsin Outdoor said, what is one of the best memories you have as uh, hunting as a kid? That's a tough one to answer, hmm. I bet. Those are hard to answer. Yeah, I don't know if I have a best one. Um but I have a couple like from early on hunting up there in Wisconsin. Um, I can never sit the whole day with my dad. So I used to always, I would travel a lot, you know, between his stand and then back to camp and depending on like, we actually had a, a property for a while that was maybe, I don't know, not quite a mile down the County road from where, sorry about that. It's all right. Um, turn off those notifications somehow. We had a property that was like a, not quite a mile down the county road, and um, I would just leave the stand and then basically cross the road and then walk like the edge of the cornfield all the way back to our camp, warm up, eat, whatever, and then walk back. And those, you know, moments alone, you don't you don't like realize it, and I don't know if my dad realized it either, but it was some of the first times I spent, you know, traveling through the woods alone. And you know, like, I knew the destinations, you know, I knew where point A was and point B was, but I maybe had never, you know, walked across that cornfield or walked across it when it had standing corn, or if I dove into the woods, I maybe hadn't been there, you know, certainly not by myself, you know, as just like a 11, 12, 13 year old. And, you know, like learning how to navigate and, and working through, like I do remember one time I didn't quite make it back to him. And I was like basically just standing in one spot, pretty getting close to like tears. And I just like saw my dad coming, you know, and I was like, and just felt a sense of relief. Cause I mean, we were only on, you know, 40 acres, but you know, when you're a kid and you don't see anybody and all of a sudden you don't know which direction is which, uh, you know, you, you might as well be, you know, in the jungle somewhere on thousands of acres um, but I had a couple experiences where it was like a real connection to nature on those walks, like going to and from my dad and in, in camp. And one was early on in my life, there were no turkeys there. And I remember the first time I ever saw a turkey and I just come, I was just about to crest a ridge and there was a whole bunch of snow. I mean, it was probably a foot or something, which was a lot of snow. It seems, especially now considering that <laughs> I haven't seen that much snow. Wisconsin forever but 
I remember I was trudging through and I was cresting this ridge and this whole flock of turkeys, you know, I don't know. I want to say it was 30. It was probably half of that, but a lot of turkeys just like rise up in front of me. (laughs) They flush, they they like black out the sky. And again, it's one of those moments where like, you know, I didn't even know that we had turkeys. Maybe I wasn't expecting it. And this thing happens where, you know, for a young boy, it was almost enough to like scare me so much and bring me to tears to just be like, what the fuck? You know, like what was that that just happened in my life? And then of course, you know, you sit back and you think about it and, you know, go and tell my dad like, Oh yeah, I just flushed like 20 turkeys. It was crazy. Um, another time I was walking through and I bumped into what must've been a, like a doe or, or a fawn that had gotten separated from its mom or whatever. But me and this doe are just standing there in the woods on some Wisconsin Oak Ridge and she's just bleeding away, bleeding away. And who knows? Maybe she wasn't lost. Maybe she was bleeding and, you know, for some other reason. But it was a real, like, one-on-one, you know, connection to nature kind of moment for me. And um, I'll never forget either of those. You know, I think, like I said, I was young. I was by myself. And uh, just a real, you know, real strong impact. I've, I think we all as hunters have moments like that. And especially like moments when you're like out on your, out on your own, but with your dad or with your uncle or your grandpa, whoever it was that got you into it. Uh, I think those are pretty impressionable, indelible, impactful memories. Obviously, as you shared, we have uh, Tony, who might be with Doug right now. I'm not sure if he's up there at, at the the Doe Derby stuff, but Tony uh, Cordero said, "What would one piece of advice you would get? What would one piece of advice be?" that you would give to a new hunter as a mentor and maybe the stems from the stuff you're talking with your daughter, uh, perhaps too. Yeah. You know, I haven't really been mentoring her too much. I I don't feel, I mean, I'm sure I have been as a hunter, but because she's not actively participating as a, you know, hunter or a shooter, um, she's just been getting mentored more in, you know, how we're going to find them and then what we do when we have one dead. And so, I don't know, it's just been different. There's been less pressure around it because I'm not trying to work as a guide and get her a shot, you know, which is going to come. Um, but I think it, just general advice, you know, as a mentor is, oh, man, there's a lot. Um, I think like a big picture advice is like, don't take it too seriously um, it's just hunting, you know, n- none of us are <clears throat> actually out here, <clears throat> excuse me, none of us are actually out here having to fill the freezers and, you know, n- nobody's going to starve if we, if we don't kill a deer, um, you know, remember to have fun, you know, let it happen. Don't get too stressed out about it. Uh, you know, ha- have fun with it all. <clears throat> and I think that comes from guiding, you know, a lot of times it seemed like the guys that were so antsy and so wound up about having to get their bull would be like the last guy to get one or wouldn't get one where the guys that were just walking. And I say guys, cause 99% of our clients were fe- were males. I only guided, you know, one or two females in my you know, dozen years of guiding, but um, yeah, the people that were carefree and were enjoying you know, the forest past the trees, as they say, uh, they'd get their elk in the first couple of days. Um, and, uh, you know, whether you believe in, you know, putting out, you know, bad vibes out into the universe or not, you know, whether it's that or just being calm and cool and and having your eyes open to see the passing deer elk. I I don't know. That's like the the dating world when you're young too. It's like you, you, Oh, I'm trying to get a girl, you know, and then, and then you never do. And it's like the guy that doesn't give a shit about meeting a girl, just having a good time with his friends. Of course, he's the one that meets his wife, you know? Yeah, that, that hungry wolf look never seems to really get it done. you got to have the eye of the tiger, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. But, yeah, uh, but, but uh, technically speaking, the number one piece of advice I give everybody, no matter if you're new or old, is – not enough people pay a close enough attention to the horizon that is directly in front of them. Like uh, everybody knows to like look towards the horizon when you're hunting, you know, cause you'll see a something on the ridge or whatever. But unless you are just in like the absolute 
pancake of, you know, pancakes of landscapes. There's some sort of rise, fold, dip, curve, you know, something on the horizon that possibly or behind the horizon that could be hiding a critter. And so many people will just charge forward and peek over that, not peek, like look over the horizon and want to see everything that's over there versus creeping towards it and just watching that edge. It might only be 10 yards in front of you. It might be 50 yards but just walking slowly and, and scanning that close horizon because so often those critters are right there. And that's how you get those great wildlife encounters, you know, where with a rifle you get a shot at 50 yards or whatever and, and you're still hunting. But watching that horizon for like the top of a head, maybe antlers, the top of a back, um, like – it just seemed like once I figured out to do that, I was getting into so much more game and I was getting into the game without them seeing me uh, versus, you know, walking right to that edge. So you can look at the whole bowl or whatever it might be and then spooking whatever might be in there. So yeah, keep your eyes on that close horizon. You got some good answers here. I, okay. So how about two more? Is that all right? Two more. Okay. You got time for it. I know you're there. Yeah, late. That's so Joe Stefan, buddy of ours, he says, uh, I'll put on the screen, um, meat, eater, meat Eater has exploded, and you've had a lot of time spent hunting for work, Meat Eater or guiding. Do you miss hunting for fun, or do you find yourself trying to do more of that as you get older? Uh, no matter what <clears throat> kind of hunting I'm doing, it's fun. It's certainly different when you're either guiding or you're – uh, you know, doing it and, and having to host and, and look into the camera or even doing it like when I was producing uh, meat eater because um, you are working. Um, but that, like I said, it's different, but it's still a lot of fun of like it's allowed me to, you know, travel the world literally and, and see uh, so many cool places, meet so many cool people. Um, but yes. I still do. Um, when I actually first met Steve and got involved in this, I said, hey, man, I'm really into it, but I, I do love to hunt and and I need to make sure that I have personal hunting time every year. And he completely understood. And we like made just, you know, a, you know, handshake deal on it. And so it's been very understood that, you know, if he had like three shoots in a row in September, even though I was like the main producer, for one of those, I was probably going to get someone to sub in for me because I was going to be out archery elk hunting, you know, because that's like a thing that I love to do every September. Um, so I don't necessarily have to do it more. Um, I would say now there is less personal hunting time for me because I'm trying to, if I'm like going hunting for myself or if I have the time to go hunting for myself, I'm trying to think of ways to include my kids and make sure that my kids are along for that. And so the real personal hunting time is probably filmed mostly. And then, you know, going out, uh, I try to do it with my kids. That being said, Mingus and I have been hunting a lot, just he and I. Um, so I, I do get that. Um, you know, in, in my work, anytime I'm out hunting, I'm making some sort of content. It might necessarily not be, filming or recording something in that moment, but I'm maybe testing gear or I don't know, even if it's just gaining new knowledge so that there's something else for me to talk about on the next podcast. Um, I, I, I kind of look at it uh, and then I'm, again, I'm, I'm very lucky and grateful that I get to do all of that and constantly be looking at it like, Oh, how can I incorporate this in things that I talk about? Cause yeah. that's, I mean, when it comes down to that's what I do for work now is I talk a lot about hunting. That's fascinating. Like I, I, I mentioned I'll be in Montana and I, you know, it sounds like you won't be in the office or whatever. I thought it'd be fun to, to, to sync up over there, uh, this, this coming week, but it's for work. And it's like, Oh, you get to do that for work. I'm like, but, but I'm working, I'm working. And, and it, so it sounds great because it, it is, and it, it really is awesome. But there's this other component where, yeah, I'm, I'm working. Like I have to deliver, I have objectives, I have goals, I have things I need to meet and deadlines and people I need to satisfy. So like, it's a, it's a weird paradox, um, and you know, the old, the old adage of like, you know, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. I think there's a lot of truth to that. If you can find that place in your life. And, and I think that's great. Uh, sounds like you're, you're probably living a bit of that, uh, by and large, but you know, hearing you talk about your, 
11 year old, 11 year old, 11 year old daughter coming to deer camp. And like, I, I don't want to wish away the younger years because my daughter's five and she's adorable and amazing. And you know, all of these things, but I am very, very enthusiastic about the times when I get to bring her with. And also equally, like you had mentioned nervous, like, gosh, bringing my kid to deer camp, that's a different tone of deer camp than what we've been doing with the boys every year for the past decade. So, but at some point we're all going to get there because a lot of our deer camp folks have kids. And so, you know, we kind of get to bring in this new wave and, and start to pass on the heritage and a legacy. I think it's, it's a really exciting thing. I think I promised you one more question here. Um, and I'm trying to, there's a lot of them coming through, Giannis, because it's you and, and there's a draw here. So I'm not used to, to, to fielding this many questions to be quite frank, but First of all, someone said great hat because it's a new Glarus hat and they wondered how many mm. uh, you know, spotted cows you bootleg back to Montana, but that's not a real question I'll ask. <laughs> um, someone that's on TikTok, we got our TikTok live over here. I want to pay, pay those guys some love because I can't actually see the screen from here, so I have no idea what the hell is going on over there on the TikTok side of things. But um, Wes, it looks like his name is Wes, commented and asked, if you could only hunt one animal, I wonder how many times you've gotten this question. Uh, for the rest of your life, it's like the food question. It'd be pizza for me, by the way. What would it be and why? Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of a shitty question, honestly, because uh, who, who, who wants to be put into just, you know, one barrel like that? Um, so, uh, but I'll, I'll do my best to answer it and answer it quickly. Like, honestly, like I, I really love uh turkey right now I, i'm very challenged by turkeys even i mean I'm, I'm i think i've surpassed a decade of turkey hunting now and i hit a milestone recently where i feel confident enough where i can take somebody turkey hunting and say hey there's a good chance that i can you know help put you on a bird which you know just as a previous as a god in a former former life you know, I, I remember when I got confident and saying like, yeah, come with me, I'll show you an elk. And now to do that with turkeys is pretty cool. But that being said, every year I'm constantly humbled by those birds and just, you know, outsmarted and caused to walk a long walk, you know, home with no dead turkey. Um, so right now that's where, I, where I'm at. It's my favorite. And it obviously just, you know, you get kind of two meats for one when you kill a turkey. You get a little white meat and dark meat, which is great. Um, and uh, I just have a lot to learn there. Uh, a buddy of mine, Matt Elliott from over at WorkSharp, he said, yeah, it sounds kind of like you're in, you're, you're kind of in like the 25, 30 years of marriage with, with elk, but you're in the honeymoon phase of turkey hunting. And I, I think that was a good way to put it. Turkeys are fun though. Turkeys and ducks. Those are both a lot of fun to hunt. I have, I went turkey hunting once with Greg. And I went turk or I went duck hunting once with my buddy Scott. Both had the acumen and ability and experience to make it incredible. <laughs> and it was unfortunately a little lackluster for me because the birds never showed up. And I was like, all right, well, I get how it could be fun, but I never got to participate completely in the calling if, sequences. If we would have had the afternoon, if you could have come with for an afternoon hunt, I know I could have put us on a bird. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's hard when you're you're doing all this stuff in life. It's it's tricky to fit it all in. And it's like, gosh, if I have to tell my wife I have to leave her with three kids one more time, she's gonna I'm very fearful uh with my life insurance policy, she's gonna poison my chili or something. I'm gonna come home and she's gonna be like, I made you venison and uh, I didn't want to do it because you know it's it's wild game, but I love you, and here you go, and I'm like, Wow, she loves me, and then I'm gonna freaking die. <laughs> It honestly just sounds like you need to start taking those kids along on more yeah. hunts and then you'll get to go and do more hunting. I think we're at that precipice. I think we're right about there. Turkey hunting is kind of an easy thing because, you, yeah. you know, you get a pop-up line. You can put a kid put them in, in there and, and work with them. Yeah. You know, Greg comes over tonight, right? We're in my house. This is my basement. This is nothing fancy or special. And uh, he gets here. My wife's at the gym. I said, you can go, go work out. Do what you got to do. I'll, I'll, I'll manage. I'll hold the fort down. Uh, do do dad duties and spend my time with the kids before I jump down here. Literally had to cut you out of a chair full of duct tape. <laughs> my kids are just—they have this level of intensity that I don't know that a lot of other parents deal with. And I've been around other parents and kids, and I'm like, see, see, mine are different. I'm telling you, 
they had too much coffee in the womb or something. Like something's not right here. All I, I love them. Was wave a Snickers bar in there. They're like a pack of wild dogs. <laughs> throw it in the corner and uh, cut you loose. So I'm I'm excited to bring they they they. I have a feeling that when they if and when they get into it, I don't mean to, I'm never going to force them. If they show interest, I will I will foster that. I'm not going to force them down the path. But if they show interest, I'm very excited about it. Uh, just because it'll be a really great bonding experience, but. They they have such a level of intensity about things. These three kids of mine, all three of them, that they're going to surpass me in all that I've ever done in life. And I'm really excited about that too because they're just going to be better than me. And I think as a parent, you just always hope that your kids will do better than you did. Maybe that's just me, but uh, not. This isn't a parenting episode, but you know, it seems interesting. You brought your daughter to deer camp. I'm nervous about that someday. It was really cool to hear your experience with that and the fact that your daughter just carried her own. I hope that mine does, and I think she would if she ever got interested. Very uh, strong-willed, independent human. Well, it's those kind of moments where you get to uh, what's that saying? Like uh, reap what you sow. Yep. You know, so all all the effort that you've put into raising them, and you know, t- and teaching them to be you know hikers in the woods and be comfortable in the cold or whatever, and then you go to deer camp, and all of a sudden, yeah, you. Uh, I almost didn't have to do anything. You know, she, she held her own, you know, she took care of her gear better than she ever does in her own bedroom at home. And, uh, you know, I didn't have to police her on that. And, um, yeah, I kind of got to just kick back and be like, wow, look, yeah, very proud of her. She's mine. You know, that's cool. That's super cool, man. Giannis, thank you for, for extending your day and hanging out with us in the OKS Hunter podcast studio, so to speak, virtually, albeit. Um, if you're ever in Wisconsin, you're welcome here anytime. We'd love to have you. You'll meet my crazy three kids, my two dogs and two cats. It's a circus here. We're 110 away from a full-blown circus, but uh, we love the chaos in this household. It's it's a wild ride. <laughs> but, yeah, any any parting thoughts? I don't know. Uh, I feel like I should ask you some, like, really enlightening questions myself, but we let our listeners do it, so. Yeah, they did a good job. I'm not, I'm not great at, uh, you know, super uh complicated philosophical parting thoughts but i uh, appreciate you guys having me on uh that's it's always fun to 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 uh, get interviewed and, instead of doing the interviewing so uh yeah th- thanks for that and uh, uh yeah i look forward to getting back to the great state of wisconsin hopefully uh i'm a uh, minority landowner now in a uh, in a little chunk of land and uh i'm gonna get back there in the soon in 2023 and start doing some habitat improvement with, uh, with the old chainsaw. So cool. Uh, I'm a regular old Aldo Leopold now. That's awesome. If you ever want to teach anybody how to do anything, I'm a great candidate because I know, uh, next to nothing. <laughs> I'll be a great student. I promise. <laughs> but yeah, with that, we'll, we'll end the live broadcast. I think everyone knows where to find meat eater stuff across the board. You guys need virtually no introduction. So with that, I'll end the live stream. I'm going to go and end our TikTok live stream and all that stuff. And Giannis, if you can hang out with us for two seconds, we'll be happy to just debrief real quick. But we appreciate your time so much. Thank you.